This week, our executive producer, Adam Gobeski, suggested we watch the 2015 film The Revenant. For once, a pretty good film. But instead, our guest chose the 1993 movie What's Eating Gilbert Grape. Huh. I'm sure there's a bear joke in here somewhere. Welcome to Cinematic Respect. I'm your first co-host, Jessica Clares. And I'm your second co-host, Charlie Wallace. Uh, So for the movie that we're watching today, I was a little bit worried to go back to it because this is something I'd seen a long time ago and actually remembered liking, but there were a couple of aspects of it that I was worried weren't going to translate too well to uh, 2018. So the question I wanted to start out with to you, Jessica, is, Mm -hmm. is there anything that from your childhood or from your early life that you're afraid to revisit? Um, yeah, there's definitely things that, because I rewatch so much, it's, it's kind of, you know, like I, yeah, I you, dive right in. I rewatch yeah, a lot of much things. much more than I do. Yeah, yeah, I'm a big rewatcher. But there's definitely, I think things that, um, that I remember being like really near and dear to my heart as a child, those ones I think are the ones I'm most afraid to go back to because you're like, you know, now I'm probably going to find it campy and, yeah. you know, just trying to appeal to the lowest common denominator yeah. and it's going to bum me out. So I just don't want to see it. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm trying to think, I don't, I'm trying to think of something specific, but I think those ones are the ones that I'm afraid to go back to. Yeah. And today we're actually watching the 1993 Johnny Depp and Leonardo DiCaprio <laughs> vehicle. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's eating Gilbert Grape? And our guest today is returning guest Amber Albee. Welcome back to the show, Amber. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. We're going to throw that question right back at you. You should have been expecting well, this. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I did kind of see it coming. Um, <laughs> I, I'm usually not a person to be afraid to rewatch old things, especially films. Um, and I do end up watching most of my childhood favorites, my daughters, they're seven and nine. And I do have kind of mixed feelings when I rewatch them. But the ones that I'm actually scared to go back and view are usually television series that I loved as an adult. So I am scared to watch The Sopranos. I have not rewatched that recently. Oh, yeah. also, The Wire, which I loved when it was out. Um, both of those shows, I feel there have been current events, perhaps, that would make them not play as well. Uh, things like Deadwood, I have gone back and watched. Ones that are set in a specific historical time period, not set when they were filmed. And that one did age well. Uh, so it's interesting when we start to kind of talk about wh- when Gilbert Grape is set, how that will affect how we think it's aged. Samber, last time you were on the show, um, you were talking about a book you had written called Cauldron's Bubble, which I've read and was a lot of fun. I'd actually recommend everybody read it. Um, Is there anything new you have to promote that's coming out soon? Yeah, thanks for so casually segueing into that. (laughs) (laughs) I do have... I do have the sequel for Cauldron's Bubble coming out on October 1st. It's called Double Double Toil. And uh, if any of you have read or are familiar with Cauldron's Bubble, it takes place in a magical Shakespearean kind of multiverse where characters from Hamlet, Macbeth, and the Tempest can interact with each other along with new characters. And in the sequel, they go into the world of a Midsummer Night's Dream. So they're fairies. Mm -hmm. Well, as I said, I really enjoyed it. And I'm looking looking forward to reading that. Maybe even a preview copy. Oh, thank you. Yes, I'll send you one. (laughs) (laughs) So this week, the movie that Amber chose was a 1993 film, What's Eating Gilbert Grape? And uh, Johnny Depp plays Gilbert Grape, a young man living in a small town with his family, including two sisters, his autistic brother, Arnie, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, and his morbidly obese mother, played by Darlene Cates. Gilbert and his sisters have been left with the task of caring for their mother, who is unable to leave the house as well as Arnie, who Gilbert seems to have a special connection with. Uh, Gilbert is forced to navigate his life, taking care of his family, planning Arnie's 18th birthday party, having an affair with a married woman, played by Mary Steenburgen, and his budding romance with a young woman, played by Juliette Lewis, who is temporarily stranded in town when her camper breaks down. Uh, Is he destined to stay in the small town life forever, or is there hope of escape? So, Amber, uh, besides the... I guess, alluring title of this film. Is there any particular reason you chose it? I just think this has one of the most bizarre titles for a film, especially since it isn't actually said during the entire movie. And actually, I after I watched it, I had to kind of see where the title came from. And it is based on a novel that was written by the screenwriter. So I'm guessing it makes a little bit more sense in the book, but I haven't read the book. Uh, 
I chose this because I've actively avoided this film since it came out. Most of the recommended uh, films that you all have to discuss, I've seen. Uh, I have a degree in film, so <laughs> I, I watch a lot of movies. And this one, I remember there was a time, probably about 95, when I was at a sleepover and a bunch of the girls were like, we're going to watch this movie. And I said, what is it, what's it about? And they said, well, it has two hot guys in it. And I got up and left. <laughs> that wasn't a big selling point to me. So I, I have had opportunities to see this film before, and I haven't. It has been... Uh, eating me, I'll say, for a while, though, because I live in the town where it's filmed. I have a house that's uh, just a few miles outside of the locations where this was shot. So we do drive past every week the water tower that still kind of says Andorra on it. It's fading. Uh, we drive past the grocery store where Johnny Depp's character works. And we've known that this was the filming location, but haven't really cared enough to watch the movie. Uh, my husband still refuses to see the movie. I offered <laughs> to let him watch it with me. <laughs> What's his problem with it? Oh, I don't. I think that he's, he's he anti was, hot guys, too. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what it is. <laughs> Though I'll say this is not this is not the film to see other of these men in if you are interested in seeing you're like yeah, those no, guys it's are so hot. strange i, I want to see this movie i wonder how the rest of that sleepover went whether they <laughs> gave up say, on the movie probably after be a big letdown. half hour <laughs> and i'm not the only one who's heard it pitched this way because i've talked to two of my friends who are really close in age to me one of them a woman one of them a man and they both had heard it described as being a movie with two hot men in it and both of them also chose not to like or not to watch it based on that description of it. So this is something that floated around a lot in the 90s uh, as a description for this film. That's really fascinating to me because I guess I just don't ever think of it that way. <sighs> if if they had Funny. said that it's it's uh, something based on a novel, I probably would have watched it when right. I was younger. Even if they had so sold it as like Texas Noir, I would have been like, what's that? As <laughs> someone who lives in Michigan, and I probably would have watched it. <laughs> Having grown up and probably decided that you should have different expectations of this movie. What were you expecting of it going in? Um, I was not expecting very much. I knew it was going to be a character-driven piece uh, with relatively low production value compared to what Hollywood's churning out today. Uh, I did expect a lot from the script, which I don't think it fulfilled my expectations. Um, but also, I, even as an adult, don't think that the actors who star in it are my type. So I knew going into it, that wasn't going to be a selling point for me. As I said before, this is a film that I was a little bit worried to go back and watch. And one of the reasons, in fact, the very specific reason was Leonardo DiCaprio. Really? Yes, because I thought this might be the sort of performance where somebody would have been lauded for it in the early 90s, mm. but somehow wouldn't would translate, now. would be offensive now. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, so that's what I was worried about the whole time was that, oh, now we're all going to have to watch this movie and it's going to be sort of a cringeworthy performance. So I guess maybe just as a starting question, what did you all think of Leonardo DiCaprio who was playing um, an autistic 17-year-old in this film and 18-year-old, I guess, I, to the end of the movie? I, I thought he played it very well. Yeah. I wasn't, I didn't, I didn't find it cringeworthy, yeah. I guess. Yeah, I prepared for this actually by watching Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet. Because uh, I wanted to see an earlier Leonardo DiCaprio film, and I think that was the first one that I saw him in. And uh, I thought he did a lot better in Gilbert Grape than in uh, Romeo and Juliet. I think he might have been better, depending on how you judge a performance, in uh, Gilbert Grape than he was in Titanic as well. So I was impressed with that. I don't think I liked... Uh, Johnny Depp's performance nearly as well as his. It was I read some descriptions of it as being nuanced, and that's something that we've seen a lot of Johnny Depp stuff. So it wasn't anything that set this part um, apart. It was poor phrasing. Sorry, <laughs> it wasn't anything that set that wasn't anything that set this role apart from Johnny Depp's later roles. In terms of like what he was capable of delivering, you mean? Yes. Okay. Johnny Depp in this film plays a character who is very responsible and is taking care of his family, but. In a lot of ways, he doesn't he doesn't say much in this movie. Yeah, he doesn't really recognize that he even has the opportunity to shape his destiny. He never says no to any request. And I, I thought that was kind of interesting as it as it opened. He takes care of his mother. Uh, he takes care of Arnie the whole time. And that's what we see him. He has his job that he does to support the family. And for the most part, that's what we see him do. And just 
we don't really get to see him react to much, at least at the beginning of the movie. The positive reviews of his performance were mostly that, that he they wanted to pick somebody who could, I guess, without saying or doing much, emote quite a bit. I'm not sure that I agree that he's the strongest performance in the film, but I guess that's what they were going for, at least. Yeah, I read in some of the trivia on IMDb, which I'm sure is 100% completely accurate and has been fact-checked and all of that. Oh, yeah. I I, sarcastic. I'm constantly uh, spouting IMDb trivia on the show and not (laughs) following up. (laughs) So they uh, they said that Johnny uh, Johnny Depp's performance was supposed to be either half awake or half asleep. So it was just him. It was him just cruising through life and not having much of a character arc, having stuff happen to him and reacting to it. I, I mean, I don't know how you how you play that. <laughs> yeah. But he had very, you know, um, expressionless eyes. They just seemed very flat. And so he was observing and taking in, but very, like you said, very little reaction. And to do that, I don't know how you, how you prep or train yeah. as an actor <laughs> to do that. But yeah, not a lot of use of eyebrows, not squinting, not smiling, not changing the shape of your eyes and just having this very flat look. What did you think about his hair in this movie <laughs> <laughs> the color actually really bothered me the length did not i was totally fine with the length and the messiness and the whatever i was like fine you're in a small town you don't care but the color was really annoying because it was very unnatural to me and he clearly i'm like you don't care enough about anything to be dying it but you want me to believe it grows out of your head that color and i just don't <laughs> i had the same exact thought because how is he supposed to dye it he doesn't have time no and but there, no one has hair that color. But I remember around this time, the color was described as auburn, and it was quite popular in uh, different television series and whatnot. So I, I guess, I don't know if this started the trend. I was wondering the same thing about Juliette Lewis's hair. I don't know if she started the trend of short hair on women uh, or if they were reacting to the trend. Yeah, I don't know. His, yeah, his hair bothered me, definitely. I don't know. I think a lot of the town reminded me of the movie Nebraska. Yes. Yeah. And I did take some pictures of the town where it's filmed is called Manor, but it's spelled Manor, but we're in Texas. I did take some modern pictures of it. And that stretch of town looks pretty much the same. The grocery really? store, Lamson, Lamson's grocery store is still a grocery store. Um, the the ice cream shop is now a Chinese restaurant. So there have been <laughs> some slight changes, but that's no longer our downtown. It's become very cosmopolitan. We have a Starbucks and Ooh. a Walmart, which I imagine are where Foodland would exist in this fictional <laughs> town yes. of Andorra. But uh, it's it's interesting that even though this was filmed so long ago, the out, the real life town hasn't changed. Yeah, I like that the little grocery is still there, and it's still a grocery store. They they did cover the um, the gas pumps, mm. so you can stay out of the sun while you pump the gas now. <laughs> <laughs> Again, Gilbert's taking care of his family, right? I mean, the rest of his or his older. His two sisters are also helping out, especially his older sister. But there's a lot of pressure on him to take care of his mother and his brother. And we're already talking about how he doesn't show a lot of emotion or we don't really know what he's thinking. So the question is, how do we know? Do we know what Gilbert really wants out of his life? Is there anything? I think I think that we learn that as the film goes on. But I think when it opens, he doesn't know that either. That's my personal take. I I feel a lot of the film requires you to think about your own adolescence, your own teenage years. And so it does this kind of shorthand storytelling where you show a kid who's stuck with his family and you're supposed to say, well, he wants to get away from his family. And even though the film isn't explicit about that, it it does kind of dole it out in little pieces throughout. Because that's one thing that I remember watching this movie before I was like oh yeah of course he want to le- he wants to leave his hometown and he wants to leave his family and it's too much for him and this time I was like well I wondered like I knew that that's what the movie was trying to portray but I was really wondering like okay well what else is it really giving us so that we know that he's unhappy because in a lot of ways taking care of his family seems to bring him satisfaction like he really well, seems he to wants, connect with Arnie. I guess I guess I feel like it's um a pull between feeling the burden of responsibility mm-hmm. and feeling like you don't really have choices, but also wanting to be a good person. Uh we have to we have to mention his brother that's not there. 
Because oh, even yeah. the way in the voiceover when it opens, he talks about how he escaped. That's the terminology he that uses. That is true. Yeah. And so what it would have been like for Gilbert growing up in his younger years, because he doesn't have a father, his mother's melting down in front of them, you know, kind of falling apart and having to pick up all this responsibility. And there wasn't really anybody there to support him or help take care of him. And so I think even though he wants something else for himself, there's definitely a part of wanting to provide that support for everybody else. But yeah, in the opening, I, I think that he just feels like there aren't choices. It's like, this is just reality. And one of the questions I had about his backstory, too, was if the father was abusive, the dead father. And that would make sense for why he said his older brother escaped and also for why he, spoiler, later hit Arnie. But uh, they never talk about that. You're kind of, again, supposed to fill in the blanks. And I... I feel like I should have read part of the book to prepare for this show because I kind of hope that the answers are in there someplace. <laughs> but if you're just looking at a film, there are a lot of questions here still. Yeah, they don't give you a whole lot about his father. There were there was a time where I half expected them to when Johnny Depp is talking to Juliette Lewis. They're having their heart to heart conversation. I thought they were going to get into a little bit of like why maybe his father killed himself or you know, anything about his father at all. But all we really know is that he committed suicide in their basement. And it was around the time that the the youngest daughter was born. And and we know, too, that the father tried hard, like he built the house, but he didn't yeah, build it well. But uh, they make a point of saying, well, they're supposed to be uh, the floorboards are supposed to be 12 inches apart, but they're 16 inches apart. So the dad was trying, but he was also cutting corners. And so what kind of a person would do that. And so I was imagining maybe someone who's really connected sometimes and then maybe has demons that lead him to drink or something like that that make him not as connected with his family as he should be all of the time. That's interesting because I didn't view it that way. I guess I didn't expect him to have been abusive or an alcoholic or anything like that. I was imagining that you're supposed to be seeing a lot of Gilbert's father in Gilbert, that he was trying to be responsible, but he just maybe doesn't know enough to know that they should be 12 inches apart <laughs> and doesn't know, you know, they, so he's like, I'm building this and this seems good and trying to do these things, but feeling the burden of responsibility. And because he describes his own father as being pretty reactionless that, you know, you try to make him laugh and you couldn't or, you know, even anger or something. There's some comment about how you can't you, you couldn't provoke him to be anything in an extreme. You never really saw that. And that, you know, maybe it was just all too much. And he, you know, feeling like a failure, feeling like you're not, I don't know, you're trapped and you're stuck. And so he did get out, but in a way that left the rest of them dealing with it for years. Yeah, Amber, I'd be interested um, to know, what do you think about the symbolism of the house itself? Did you think it was spot on or a little bit heavy? I mean, as a screenwriter. So we as screenwriters don't always do the direct or the job of the art director, um, which would have been like set design and such. But one thing that I loved about the house, uh, and I think it worked really well symbolically, was it wasn't built to last. There were things that should have been done to it to make it last longer that weren't like it didn't have clean paint. Um, it didn't have a lot of the structural support that it needed. And so all of those details that were written into the dialogue just showed like this house's time is it's uh, ticking. It's not going to last for a hundred years. So there did need to be some, some kind of ticking clock to get the, uh, the action going to finally make Gilbert do what he has to do and move on with his life. And so the house formed that it, it was the, the, in one of the inciting incidents that made him move on with his life. Yeah, one of the I actually really liked the part about the braces being too far apart and how they had to fix it because that's right above where his mother was sitting. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, he's literally supporting his mother. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I, that's why I was wondering whether you thought it was like a little bit too much or whether. I, I, I liked it because I felt like it was it was clearly in decay. Mm hmm. And, you know, it's falling apart. It's not, it, There's not enough of uh, time and attention and know-how to stay on top of it. And it would never be finished. 
Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, he, it doesn't matter how much, you know, because he says in the opening monologue thing, the voiceover, that it's his responsibility to take care of it. Like, that's his job. But with everything else he's supposed to be doing, there's no way he's ever, it's just basically waiting for something to get bad enough that it has to be dealt with, like the floorboards, and then dealing with it. And it's just constantly a Band-Aid on a Band-Aid on a Band-Aid, because there just isn't enough to go around. And so that, I guess, you could, looking at it now, yeah, you can say it's heavy-handed, but I think it's... Like, upon first viewing, I think it just kind of really gives you an idea of how kind of futile it all is. Yeah. In a more concrete sense, too, I kept on wondering where people were sleeping uh, because it doesn't seem like that big of a house, especially in the exterior shots. But they all seem to have space except when they ate. And that was the one time when everyone was together in the family. Mm -hmm. And I really wanted to see more of, well, what happens when they're in this other room all together, all of the kids having a conversation about their mother. Mm -hmm. And you never get to see that, even though it kind of sets up that the house could, as a set, supported that. And then again, if we want to talk about symbolism related to the house, when Gilbert's mother dies, she's basically kept herself on the bottom floor of the house for a long period of time, hasn't actually gone up the stairs, then, I don't know, maybe even years, actually decides in the end to go up the stairs and then maybe exert herself so much that she dies. And then they realize that in order to get her out of the house for um, her funeral, they would have to get a crane to bring her out, at which point Gilbert and his family take everything out of the house and then burn it. So with the mother's body inside. So again, more symbolism about like, oh, literally burning down the... Doesn't he make a comment when he, in one of his conversations with, with Juliette Lewis, this character, I think he says something about how his mother like is attached, very, very attached to the house. I mean, he makes yep. a joke, of course, mm-hmm. but he also says something about being very emotionally attached to the house as well. And so it was, I mean, it's not like any of those kids is staying in that house because they just can't imagine living anywhere else right. or staying in the town for that matter because they can't imagine living anywhere else. And so with her death, they're free to do that. And it was such a huge risk to burn the house. It was such a huge decision because they established that there is no insurance on it. So what happened to the kids after that? And the film doesn't answer that. It just kind of cuts nicely away to this exterior shot a year later. Um, but it leaves a lot of open questions But the fire was interesting, too, how they set it up. And I I saw it coming from the first 20 or so minutes of the film uh, because they when they introduce the oldest sister, the character uh, named Amy, she worked in a school cafeteria that burnt down. And then later, and it was just such a minor detail, but it drove me nuts. And so I knew it was significant when they're having lunch in the cafe. When Gilbert is meeting with his two friends, Arnie is playing a pinball game and it's really bothersome and in the background and obviously there to catch your attention. And the pinball game is called Fire. So <laughs> really, yeah, it is. Yeah. It was a little that what I thought was a little like foreshadowing. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Exclamation point. And then there are a couple of times, too, where people can't light their own cigarettes and mm-hmm. Gilbert lights the cigarettes for them. So he holds mm-hmm. out the lighter. You're right. So that's yeah, something I definitely that caught this times. time. Yeah. So yeah, lots of little things like that that are that are strewn throughout the movie that especially if you've seen it a second time. Like it's a, a little bit more obvious, but the foreshadowing heavy handed or otherwise or or whatever. Um even if it does make the plot messier, I liked that they burned the house down. It felt like it was, I don't know, final. And it seemed like such a big act of kindness to their mother. And in a way, the house killed her. Well, the steps may have. So they were also, uh, maybe as a form of therapy, we're getting rid of the thing that caused her death, if you look at it from that perspective. But I was wondering, too, did she actually die from walking up the stairs? Or was it just she had reached her goal of having her son's 18th birthday and just had no more reason to live? I don't know. And even admitting, I mean, recognizing what had happened to her over the years and admitting that it wasn't good, you know, admitting that it was embarrassing, that she never meant for it to get like this. Um Because I feel like in the opening, you know, or the first third half of the movie, she's very much in denial that there's anything weird or wrong (laughs) about how she's currently living. It it makes a point of showing her food, too. And I don't think there was a single vegetable. It was like bacon and eggs and all things that were very unhealthy. And it made a point of showing her eating it to say she's not trying to better herself. Oh, and she's smoking. And, um, you know, her daughter says, oh, I made up a bed for you, mom. And, you know, I'm fine here. Why, why would you do that? I'm fine here. And so that's what I'm saying is that when she, in the very climactic moment when she does leave the house, 
because, you know, she she is finally concerned enough or something's big enough, important enough to her to leave the house is that kind of that shame or embarrassment washing over her of seeing not only kind of like how it affects her or how embarrassed she is by everybody marveling at her, but also how it affects her children. And so, like you said, I think that that's kind of the culmination at the end of the movie is that there's kind of a reckoning and she's also made it to, you know, Arnie's 18th birthday. And there's all these things that, yeah, that was- it's okay for her to go. That was another thing that came up several times in the movie was the townsfolk of the small town uh, gathering around to watch his family as a spectacle. I mean, it happens multiple times with Arnie with, um, I think, Amber, you would actually sent me a photo of the water tower in the town. Um, He climbed. That's something that whenever he gets an opportunity, he climbs up to the top of and they have to get a crane to bring him down. So, again, there's that crane. There you go. Um, Yep. And then when Mama comes to the police station, everyone is staring at her. And then the the kids going and peeking in the window, yeah. So that, yeah, final act of burning down the house again is just to prevent that from happening. Yes. But there's a, an earlier scene, I think it's in the first act, when Gilbert actually lifts a kid up to look inside and mock his mother. So it is this strange disconnect for him as a character between do I want to be the people laughing at my family or do I want to be a part of my family? I think that part of what changed his mind was her finally stepping out of the house and being able to see that what it was like for her to react to the people. Because when he lifted the kid up, he wasn't watching her reaction. But when they were at uh, the what was supposed to be the prison, but it's actually a county courthouse, uh, that he got to see how she felt when the people were snapping photos and laughing and pointing at her. Yeah. And I do want to bring up the water tower, too, since you all brought it up. That drove me crazy. And it might not have bothered me if I don't if I didn't see the water tower like so frequently in my real life. But there is actually there's no ladder there. And I just kept on wondering (laughs) why there was a ladder in the film. It was just so convenient. I actually wrote the word contrived in my notes. Uh, like, why not just raise the ladder up or put something on the ladder that prevented the kid from climbing it if it was such yeah. a hazard? Yeah, I'm like, I mean, the same technology we use for fire escapes, <laughs> we could apply yeah. to the ladder on this water tower. I was very much thinking the same thing. And what would they be doing with a water tower where they need a ladder frequently? It seems like they hoist one up if they needed to paint it and not have it up the rest of the time. I don't know. Yeah, and if my husband had actually watched it with me, he's an engineer, and he could have answered that question, but he didn't. And and now he's playing Skyrim, so I'm going to shame him on your podcast for not <laughs> for playing Skyrim. <laughs> it's it probably was better than watching the film in his defense. I didn't like the movie. I haven't been explicit about that enough yet. <laughs> okay, so what did you think about the mother's death then? What kind of message is the movie sending when his mother literally has to die in order for him to be able to do anything? Is he improving as a character if like something just has to happen in order for him to be able to leave instead of making the choice himself, really? Well, he doesn't have agency. He, he has no control over his life throughout the whole thing. And the only decision he really makes that affects the rest of his family, at least, is burning down the house. And apart from that, he's so reactionary. It drives me a little bit crazy. Um <laughs> The tragic aspect of it, too, goes back to a lot of books that I also don't like. And uh, sorry, everyone who likes these books, but I don't like Southern Gothic. I don't like uh, like Faulkner or um, Steinbeck. And this had a lot of those things that those novels have. Uh, It has the family with multiple generations living in a house, which is supposedly in Iowa, but I couldn't escape the fact that it was in Texas. And they're dealing with these things that are really extreme and full of melodrama and a character who has something wrong with him that can't be fixed, that can't be overcome um, in Arnie's character. So it it does have this like sound in the fury thing going on with it as well um, in the, the Southern Gothic way. I mean, the only way out. I mean, so you, you said that... that um... Gilbert doesn't make any decisions or the only decision he makes is to burn the house down. But I I want to give him credit when he goes to run away and he, then he chooses to turn around and go back. And you could say that it's chickening out. I don't know. I, I, I give him credit for it because it's like, a no, that's essentially what my father did just in a different way. And so going back and trying and trying to take care of it, trying to make up with his brother, um, who he clearly, like you said, Charlie, had a really close connection with more so than the other family members. 
We may uh, we may need to have a recurring segment where Jessica gets to talk to the guest without me, <laughs> which happened in one of our other episodes recently. So sorry, I'll be back. He's just he has to go to the bathroom. Uh, well, I hope so. I hope that's what he's whining about. Oh, poor puppy. Uh, he's a year old. He should be better than this. Uh, sorry, Jessica. No, it's no problem. I like that when you said he should be better than this, that you like waved your finger in his face, like I'm, he knows what I'm that means. My finger in exactly. Him. You should be better. I know. <laughs> oh, Charlie, so angry. I actually, I mean, we we talked about Leonardo Leonardo DiCaprio's performance of of Arnie, you know, playing somebody with with a mental disability. But it's funny because Charlie mentioned um, in the synopsis and then another time that Arnie uh, is autistic, and so I pulled up, you know, kind of a couple quick, like, you know, Wikipedia explanations or whatever the film, and it does describe it that way. But if you would have asked me what sort of mental disability he was supposed to have, I would not have guessed autism just because, you know, the kind of the the hallmarks or maybe, I don't know, autism is definitely a little bit more discussed now versus the early 90s. And so um, a lot of the main hallmark characteristics, I felt like they didn't include, you know, like he eye contact and being touched or hugged and all of those things are totally fine. And in the trivia on on IMDb, it said that Leonardo DiCaprio actually went to a home for teenagers who had things like Down syndrome. So I don't think that he was necessarily basing his character on someone who was autistic. Mm -hmm. I think that there was this sense that maybe this kid should not have been living with his family. And uh, that's something that I don't know. Should we think about that, too? Should the kid have even been there? Oh, I, I definitely, I definitely thought on multiple occasions that he was just a little too much to to handle, and that maybe he should have been, you know, being cared for by people who at least understood a little bit more. And that that was kind of the alternative to his mother going in and saving him from jail. If he didn't go home with her, it wasn't that he was going to go to jail; it was that he was going to go to some live-in care facility. It's interesting because the mother never comments on the older brother who's not there. In fact, nobody comments on the older brother who's not right. there. But with all the other characters, it's seemingly very important to the mom that they're all there. You know, it's very important to her that she gets Arnie back. When Gilbert goes to run away, she says, you know, don't leave me. You know, you always come back to me or something to that effect. And the girls, I think it's kind of an unspoken thing. I mean, clearly the, the oldest daughter is the mom you know she takes care of everything and the youngest one is too young to really go anywhere but i mean it's i don't know i feel like there was very much this sense like they she liked having them all there she liked that they all were around her and i it's such a detail too but i love when they're setting up the table for her to eat dinner they don't really discuss it they just all have their jobs and go about doing it and Mm -hmm. it's so normal for them um it's a really nice way of directing it yeah it's it was fascinating to me the because I, fi- I find myself thinking of like more practical things like, I mean, there's no way he's making very much money at that grocery store. And his oldest sister, I mean, she maybe has a job outside of taking care of her mother. But I mean, they don't really comment on where she works now after the cafeteria had burned down. And and so I started thinking about like, I mean, the house, I guess their dad built. So they don't have a house payment. But I mean, just buying all the food that their mother and they consume and, uh, you know, the gas for his truck because he's driving around constantly. Like, I was just thinking the whole time about, like, how do they even afford this? Like, I don't understand. (laughs) So I thought about that, too. And I was thinking that um, perhaps the groceries were part of the deal for him working there. Mm, That's a good point. And so they were just included. Uh, But, yeah, I was really concerned, too. I was assuming perhaps they get government aid for the mother having disability or for Arnie. But uh, there was a lot of why are they not more concerned about money? Because they never seem to talk about it. Yeah. Well, and it's a depressed little town. I mean, at some point, there's just limited opportunities. And so I did find it um, interesting or uh, like a little side a way of getting the information in in a kind of a side manner was through his friends who are more ambitious than he is clearly but i don't think you know as the person who's watching the movie you're not supposed to be impressed with their ambition (laughs) you're supposed to be like oh your greatest ambition is to work at the burger barn or your greatest ambition is you know to drive a hearse um but relative to Gilbert, they're like, you know, up and comers. You know what I mean? So it's uh, kind of that juxtaposition. Yeah, that was good. I was totally entertained by them. I feel like if there was a spinoff of this movie, it would be, It'd be about those, um, it'd be those two guys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know. They were definitely slower. You know, they're not particularly bright. They're 
but they are but they are trying they are trying to do something bigger but going back to the money situation too i feel like if i had watched this as a young person when it came out i would not have been concerned about like how are they paying for things but as an adult and perhaps in your second viewing you are thinking more about the money than on the first go around yeah I found it to be stressful, but I think that's only because I'm like a planner and I would want to be like on top of those things or thinking of those things. So the fact that nobody was made me feel uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, cause there's no future really yeah. in the film. Mm-hmm. The future isn't a concern for really anyone. So why would you have to have insurance? Why would you have to have money saved up? Why would you yeah. have to paint your house? No, you All wouldn't. of those things. Yeah, it doesn't exist in the reality. Well, I mean, and again, with the heavy handed symbolism or whatever you want to say i mean arnie repeats specific certain things over and over again and it's like the um when they talk about the difference between goodbye and good night and he's like we're not going anywhere we're not going anywhere like over and over again um obviously just really underscoring you know you're not going anywhere gilbert <laughs> there is no there are no other choices for you and yeah he did, he really exists in the present there are no consequences for him um, even when he does finally get arrested for climbing the water tower, there's no big consequence that he feels the rest of his family does, but, uh, he is very much in the present. So the rest of the family kind of takes on that quality as well. Well, and even, I mean, Gilbert himself with his affair, like he's not worried. Uh, I mean, he should be, but he doesn't appear to be worried about getting caught. He's not, he doesn't appear to be concerned about the fact that she has kids or that her husband works in his little town. He even goes and sees him when, you know, he's like, you know, keeps calling him and trying to get him to come in. Like you could easily see, you know, other people being like, no, he's going to, you know, he's going to want to kill me or something like that. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to volunteer to show up and go over there, but he just does. And he just kind of sits there with the same expressionless face and just waits waits for the hammer to fall i don't know and that's such a complicated relationship too that he has with uh, the character betty because she is trying her best to either torture him or reveal the affair to her husband i was never quite sure what it was uh but it's really painful Mm -hmm. and this is such a literary detail but i loved that her name was betty and then the younger version of her who looked really similar uh is named becky because I can't think of two female character names that could be much closer than that. Yeah, no, I think she was, you know, she wanted she wanted out very, very much, <laughs> very, very badly, and didn't really care anymore if her husband found out. And so it was just kind of getting dangerously closer and closer to that line. So can we talk about Mr. Carver's death? Yes. Sure. I'm back now, by the way, just so you know. Yeah, I caught that. <laughs> okay. You probably hear me creaking up the stairs. Sorry. Go ahead. So do one of you want to lead this conversation or should I ask some questions? No, why don't you? Go for it. Okay. So uh, apart from the fire and the reoccurring fire symbolism and pinball game and then fire at the end, there was this water stuff going on throughout the film as well. So there's like the natural water by where uh, Becky has her camper set up with her grandma. Um, And that one comes into play quite a bit, the little pond. And then there's the water with a bathtub um, where Arnie is forced to spend the night because apparently Gilbert didn't have to go to the bathroom. And that bothers me. But maybe we'll come (laughs) back to that later. And uh, then there's the water that's in the little that it's a toddler pool. It's a little plastic pool that costs like eight bucks at Walmart. And Mr. Carver, who's the husband of Betty Carver, who Gilbert's having an affair with, drowns face down in this pool. And what are we supposed to think of that? I mean, yeah, because um, so, they even they yeah. even have characters wondering about it themselves. I mean, they bother to make, you know, have a few conversations about it within the film as well. Right. She comes to the grocery store and says that people think that I killed my husband. So I guess, the yeah, that's a good question. Do we think she killed her husband? I'm willing to take her at her word based on based on what we've seen from her to that point. I think she wasn't willing to go all the way to that. I think she was working her way up to being bold enough to do something like that. I mean, she was definitely uh, participating in riskier and riskier behavior. And so prior to him drowning, the last thing, the last time that Gilbert sees them all together, uh, she's melting down because Gilbert is not going to be with her anymore. (laughs) And she has left cookies burning in the oven and is just kind of sitting on the steps and falling apart a little bit. And so I don't know that she was ready. I think she was still too much of a mess to kind of get there to the point of killing him. I think it was like, oh my gosh, I'm so happy he died. (laughs) Yeah, I think it was more just fortuitous. And the film does go out of the way too to say he didn't drown. He, uh, he was found with his head in the kiddie pool, 
but he'd actually had a heart attack, according to the Undertaker friend. So it's, but from her perspective, if you look at this as like, let's pretend that Betty's a real person and she's in her house with her kids. And how would you let your husband lay face down in a kiddie pool and be okay with that? And it's not really addressed in the film. Um, and it, again, it's kind of a funny way to die too. Just, just yeah. like going up the yeah. stairs. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, that one I, I definitely agree with. And I did feel like throughout this whole movie, um, the kids, no one has concern about these kids whatsoever <laughs> at all. I mean, she's totally having an affair with the, you know, the the kid at the grocery store and doesn't have any concerns about how it's affecting her children. And like you said, when her husband dies, um, you know, if even if you found him that way, like, the natural reaction would be to pull someone back out of the water or at least be like, hey, I don't want my kids to see him like this. Like, this is disturbing. There's nothing like that. And the last time you see her, she's in the store, literally having just come from the funeral. And she's like, hey, kids, get some candy. You go out to the car now. Mommy will take care of this. Like, it's like it's like it's a Tuesday. Like, whatever, man. Have some candy. Go out to the car. I know your dad just died, but, you know, suck it up. We're cool. They were pretty much just used in the movie as in additional anchor yeah. for her, right? A reason that she wouldn't be able to leave her husband or leave this town. So yeah. yeah, they just didn't go into it any more than that. And I did get the impression that a lot of characters weren't fleshed out as much as they could have been, and her her and her kids perhaps included. But um, one that really bothered me was the character Becky, uh, where she really felt just like a plot point. She was the inciting incident that rolled into town with her grandma and kind of started this awakening in Gilbert. And she had this 90s stereotypical nature girl attitude um, that I feel like I saw a lot in fiction at that time. And I never got the sense that she existed off screen. Um, Even at the end, after a year has passed, she shows up and it's like nothing has changed. And I had a lot of trouble kind of processing that from a more realistic fiction perspective. I was trying to decide how old do you think she's supposed to be? I think Gilbert's age, so... I guess what age is that supposed to be? Are we talking early 20s? Are we talking? I think. Yeah, I usually say generically college age because that kind of falls into the 17 to 23 split. Yeah. Yeah, they're very young and they're not in school anymore. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, I guess, my question because, uh, as you said, I had a hard time believing that this person really exists because she had an awful lot of uh, depth and wisdom <laughs> like well beyond her years like oh yeah I've traveled everywhere and I'm like how have you had time to travel everywhere I don't know it just it did bug me a little bit um I think the one that for me I was kind of like eye roll was um actually when when Betty is in the grocery store talking to him before she's leaving town to go to St. Louis and Becky comes in and so you kind of have the the baton pass <laughs> from this, his older <laughs> girlfriend to his now younger girlfriend. Um, and when she walks out and she says, he's all yours or whatever. And she, uh, Becky's just calmly like looking through the shelves and just asks him, will you miss her? And he says, yes. And she says, good. And I was like, what? Seriously? You're not going to say that. That's such garbage. Like, I just rolled my, I remember, do remember rolling my eyes like, mm-hmm, she would totally think that. <laughs> I never get a chance to care about Becky. Mm-mm. She just... She floats in, and exactly. as I said, she's the inciting incident. And if you look at your watch, she falls, like her entrance falls, uh, where they first actually see each other at the part where the inciting incident should happen. So it's um, she's just a plot point. It drives me crazy. And I yeah. don't think we see that as much in modern films, but I feel like we could make a very big list of them from films oh, like yeah. in the 80s and 90s. I think it's something we... Yeah, I've been trained a little bit more to notice yeah. now than we would have been back in 1993. Yeah, so I don't think the audiences when this came out would have really cared. <laughs> they would have just been conditioned to accept it. There's that quality of insta-love, too, that has been written out of a lot of fiction, where now characters actually have to get to know each other before audiences accept that they fall in love. Um, whether that getting to know each other is on screen or off, and this is just like, yeah, they see each other. And like in Paz Lerman's Romeo and Juliet, they have a connection. And then the rest of the plot goes on. Oh, that's really fascinating to me only because I actually feel like the opposite has happened, not with this movie, but with kind of your classic cheesy romantic comedies in general is I feel like they've gotten even shorter now where they're like, okay, so here's your, you know, overly attractive female character and here's your overly attractive male character. And I'm not going to really bother to explain to you that they're supposed to be into each other. You're just supposed to know that because we don't have time. (laughs) We don't have time to invest in this. Let's just move forward. (laughs) 
But that's because our romantic comedies have shifted, where back in the day, the the conflict was, can they get together or can they not get together? Like, can they, uh, will their families let them get married or not? Or is there some thing that keeps them apart from like moving to the next step. Now our comedies tend to start at the next step um, or at least start further in the relationship. And then the conflict is something else. So it's a strange romantic comedy thing that's happened. So then what did everyone think about the ending of the film? So there's the burning down of the house, right? But then we jump to what, almost a year later Mm -hmm. when the trailers are coming back through town. Mm -hmm. So he's waiting for Becky to come back to him. Mm Mm-hmm. I thought that was a little bit of an unusual choice because I thought he was just going to leave town immediately. Like, all right, let's pick up and go. But he's still there with his at least brother like an entire year later. But you don't know that he's living there. There's no establishing shot to show his house. It's the same tree along the road as the beginning. And there's also the same noise of the birds and and those details, too, which made me actually wonder if it was filmed on the same day. Um, But... (laughs) Why I I I would save the money and film it on the same day. Oh, I totally would too. <laughs> um, but it bothered me because there was no real passage of time apart from it telling you that it was a year later. There was no difference in him. There was no difference, or well, him being Gilbert. There's no difference in Arnie. There's certainly no difference in Becky and her grandma. They're still just trolling around the U.S. in their airstream, um, and. What bothered me, too, is if we're to accept Becky as a character, I kind of expected her to have hooked up with guys in other places, and that didn't seem to have happened. So it seemed it made her less realistic, at least to me, that she'd still be holding out for this dude that she met for like a week in the middle of Iowa a year ago. That's true. Do we know that she was? Well, I guess they were in correspondence, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or we don't even know. We don't know that. Like, we don't think we they even get to have see her. letters. Uh, they didn't have cell phones. I mean, yeah, how would true. they communicate? When you asked, like, what we were thinking about the end, my first reaction was, I was just glad it was over. <laughs> uh, so, I I feel like, in a way, it should have maybe ended with the fire, because there were so many questions that still weren't resolved even after that. And I would have liked to have been given a little bit more freedom with my imagination, because what happened after the fire was where I totally could stop suspending my disbelief and was just like, no, I no longer believe this. Oh. <laughs> but I had the question of, like, would this film have been made today or would it have been, could it have been set in today? Those are two different questions. But there were so many things in it that felt dated uh, that I wondered if this would have gotten a green light today. Yeah, I had the actually I had the same question about this was that and my question was slightly different. It was if this movie had come out today, would it have been as successful or as well regarded? Because, yeah, a lot of the things of it felt a little bit like, oh, yeah, this is definitely an independent movie from the early 90s. But I don't know. There's just a lot of it I didn't find interesting, I guess. I don't know. I don't know how to put that. You can say it was boring. We won't yeah. judge you. <laughs> I don't think I disliked it as much as you guys did, which is only funny because I know when I saw it, whenever it was a long time ago that I saw it, probably in my teens, probably in my like mid to late teens, I remember not liking it then because I think it was just kind of, I don't know, it wasn't fun. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so I was like, meh, you know, more serious subject matter at that age. I didn't, I don't know, I was maybe more interested in reading it, not watching it. If I was going to see a movie, it was supposed to be, you know, something a little bit more fun. But watching it now, it is heavy handed. I feel like there's a lot of things that are contrived. It's not like they're they're burying the foreshadowing at all. It's right. right out there on the surface. I think what bothers me is that there isn't really a moral. Like you said, it's not like he learned something and grew to the point where he changed his situation. His mother just died and the biggest burden in his life was just removed. Right. If Juliet Lewis never came to town and his mom just died, he might be in the same place. <laughs> like he might have made just as many, you know, just as much progress. And the problem with it being a novel first wasn't just that it was a novel. It was that the screenplay was written by the guy who wrote the novel. And screenplays and novels have totally different structures. And um, the pacing of novels is a lot slower than the pacing of screenplays, which is why Charlie and I were getting bored. Um, it's just, it wasn't quite hitting the beats like it was supposed to a lot of the time. And novels too can be like explorations. You can have a character exploration in a novel. Um, it's really hard to have a character driven film like this is trying to be and have it more of an exploration without having a significant character arc. Um, Cause I really want there to be more change in 
uh, in Gilbert, because Arnie, Arnie is incapable of change. You can't expect that from him. But uh, we as an audience do expect it from our hero. And I didn't feel like we got the arc that I wanted. Yeah, I felt like all of the things in his life that he was kind of letting passively wash over him that were definitely making him unhappy. So having to take care of his mother, taking care of his brother, having this affair with this married woman, most of them resolved themselves. Yes. He didn't resolve hardly anything. He recognized that he had feelings. (laughs) (laughs) At some point, he was like, I'm not dead inside. This does bum me out. (laughs) But that's about it. (laughs) There is this part, too, which is also very novel-like. Gilbert's laying in the blanket with Becky. Mm-hmm. Um, Gilbert says, I want to be a good person. And I wrote that down verbatim because I was like, thank you for telling me that, screenwriter. I'm going to write it down <laughs> so I can bring this up on the podcast. Um, and that's a really terrible goal. We should just want that implicitly as people. Oh, see, and I thought I thought he said that to dodge the question and not give a real honest answer, which was, you know, that he wanted to be able to leave without feeling guilty. Oh, see, I bought it as him being 100% completely serious. He had no greater aspirations. Yeah, no, I totally thought he was he was dodging the question because she had asked him what he wanted. And he he said, you know, he's I don't know. I felt like he was just like not wanting to say out loud, like it would be too awful to admit that he wants to be like to hell with all this. Like, I actually had the opposite reaction. That's like, oh, of course, I believe that because that's all he's done the entire movie was try to do what's expected of him and try to be a good person. And I got the impression that that's I even got the impression that that's really what he wanted to do. And it was harder for me to understand that maybe he shouldn't be there, except what Amber said was that, well, you're supposed to be on board with that because he's a teenager, right? And we were all teenagers <laughs> and we wanted to leave home. So mm. so I guess overall then, what were our impressions of the movie? Amber, why don't you start out? You said you didn't like it. How much did you not like it? Oh, man. Um, on a scale of like one to really, really hate, this is probably probably about a really hate. And it wasn't that there was anything there. I can't put my finger on a specific thing that I disliked about it, except it just wasn't the type of movie that I enjoy. Um, I like to have, as I said, more character arcs, I see more dynamic uh, plot progression and all of that fun stuff. And this one I knew was going to be lots of brooding and melodrama, which I also despise, and all of the things that I didn't like. And as I said earlier, I actively avoided seeing this film because I knew I wouldn't like it. So I walked into it with a huge prejudice and um, I would not have watched it if not for wanting to talk to you all. So um, I guess you're welcome for me torturing myself with this. I do have to say thank you very much for I think you're the first guest who has actively picked something they knew that they wouldn't like. (laughs) (laughs) For their episode. And I do like most films. I I do prefer television uh, for general entertainment. But there aren't a lot of films that I can say I actually despised. That may just be because I don't finish watching ones that I don't like. I'm not afraid to turn off the television and leave the sleepover, uh, for example. But (laughs) uh, um, yeah, I can't think of any other ones that had this level of brooding and... uh, inherent angst that wasn't really explored um and then the character uh the female character as a plot point really bothered me too i can't think of any that operate on the same level that i've seen and i have seen quite a few independent films too but modern ones usually uh, avoid some of these traps i would say overall i was kind of in the middling territory i didn't actually hate the movie at all i thought it was kind of lifted up by some of the performances, which I really enjoyed. As much of sort of a cipher that Johnny Depp was, I did I did think he did a pretty good job. I really liked Leo. I didn't, and again, as I said at the beginning, I didn't expect that at all. So I think there are some like little story aspects that I had issues with, but overall, I don't think that detracted too much from me. Although, yeah, I, we, I think all did come to the a really interesting conclusion about like what actually happened in this film <laughs> or what sort of character progression was there. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, I didn't hate it. Um, I think it doesn't bother me as much. I mean, there were certain pieces that bothered me when, when, you know, like the overall like story, it doesn't, it, it didn't, it didn't make me angry. I guess I, I think of it. Yeah. It's light and contrived, but you're still supposed to like learn something from it. I, I don't know why I cannot tell you even, even remotely why I made me think of this, but from like little short stories, I remember reading and like junior high English classes, like gift of the Magi and it's contrived and it's this little thing or whatever, but you're supposed to kind of, you know, put yourself in this position and like, look at this little 
um, you know, a short little story about how these people coped with different things, uh, different challenges that were placed in front of them. And it's not particularly deep. <laughs> but yeah, it's a nice little story. And you put a little bow on it and you walk away. And so I was like, yep, that's what that was. That's about all I expected. I would watch it on an airplane. Like okay, that yeah. is about <laughs> how I felt after it was over the, sec- the second time. Oh, man. Now I feel like I have to defend the gift of the Magi. Oh, Henry also used to live in Austin, um, right up the road. But uh, that's a short story. It functions differently than a screenplay. Oh, definitely. And so, yeah, I mean, I care about the gift of the Magi. It's one of my favorite stories. I love it. You want to read his, have you read The Green Door by mm-hmm. O. Henry also? It's really good. I'm recommending that to everyone. It's one of his lesser read ones. But um, those you kind of get in, you get out, and then it has the open ending and you can think about it. Yes. And so this, we spent two hours with these characters and it did accomplish as much as a short story. And that's why I didn't care. And I think you were supposed to think about it a lot more afterwards. But um, I finished watching this and was like, freedom, and immediately started watching the movie that I'm going to recommend at the end of this podcast because I just couldn't handle ending with this film and not seeing another work of fiction before I had to pick up my children from school. (laughs) I guess I I think, too, for me, I um, drew a lot of parallels between this and Nebraska. um, And it was like, oh, Nebraska did a good job of what this was kind of trying to do. Somebody who's aimless and who feels like they have some burdens from their family and family members who didn't achieve the things they were supposed to have achieved or maybe set out to achieve and so they weren't very good, you know, not a very good mother, not a very good father, not a very good whatever, you know, insert here. And so, you know, through they've made some terrible choices so they have ended up in some bad situations and I don't know, like, but, you know, they end up learning something. But the depth was not there in what's eating Gilbert Grape like at all. It was incredibly shallow treatment of a similar subject matter. So Amber, uh, you have watched a movie that we thought you should watch. This is your opportunity to tell the world something you think they should experience. Well, first of all, I think that people should read my book. I'm going to plug it again. Um, <laughs> Please do. <laughs> it's it's called Cauldron's Bubble. It's uh, apostrophe S. It's possessive. You can find it on Goodreads. I have a website. It's www.amberlby.com. So A-M-B-E-R-E-L-B-Y.com. Uh, available for purchase on Amazon. Um, the sequel's coming out on October 1st, and it's called Double Double Toil. But if you're not in the mood to read, uh, I was um, I was kind of struggling for what I should recommend with this because I didn't want to recommend something very similar to the film because, again, I don't like it. Uh, so <laughs> I, I decided to go for the complete opposite. And interestingly enough, I, I watched this on Amazon. I rented it because I wasn't going to buy it. And right next uh, to this film in my Amazon library was The Greatest Showman, which I've been bothering you all <laughs> to watch. We'll get to and it. And it, it is what I watched immediately after this, too. And so if you want something completely unlike what's eating Gilbert Grape, then watch The Greatest Showman uh, because it has everything that this film did not. I know there's people who, even people who don't like the film that still listen to the soundtrack to that film. Yeah, I read recently it's been like top of the charts for 16 non-consecutive weeks or something like that. They have a very specific number with uh, the, again, non-consecutive. But I've listened to it personally at least a thousand times, um, not by my own choice, but because I make the mistake of allowing my children to control Spotify when we drive. Oh, that'll that'll happen. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, this week. Um, I don't know. Did we talk about the fact that John C. Riley was in this movie, or did we skip over that completely? We did. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Yeah. So my recommendation this week is: I was thinking about since John C. Riley was in this film, why don't I just do a John C. Riley, another John C. Riley film that I really liked, which was uh, Walk Hard. It was. It's a stupid, stupid walk the line parody film like biopic parody film it holds up surprisingly well i mean if you like stupid absurd comedy like surreal sort of comedy i would recommend it <laughs> it's uh, john c Riley just kills me the entire time so many like and great one-liners he is the lead in that one too right he He's is the lead he, he does yeah. not get a lead very often so that's another reason that i really liked it but yeah car and i watched that probably four or five months ago or something and we're still really entertained by it um, I think for this week, so I'm um ripping off your your what movie I watch next recommendation because <laughs> after after watching what's eating Gilbert Grape, um, I rewatched Inside Out. 
Oh, I still haven't seen that one. <laughs> and so I'm going to tie it in. I mean, I've, I've, you know, like I said, I've seen it before, but I'm going to tie it in by being like, given that, you know, Gilbert was like one of the least emotive people <laughs> ever, <laughs> then switching to Inside Out where like the characters literally are emotions. <laughs> and so, no, it's really, it's really excellent. I think it's very sweet. It's one of my, uh, I don't know, more favorite unusual Pixar movies. I feel like it definitely takes a little bit of a different um, tack. It doesn't feel like the regurgitation of a story I've heard before and unlike gilbert grape i actually cared about inside out like i (laughs) i admit that i did cry when the i don't even remember his name the little elephant guy Mm -hmm. disappears me too and yeah that was so sweet but i i didn't really care i i honestly every character could have died and was eating gilbert grape and i would have just moved on with my life Well, Amber, thank you very much for coming on the show again. Uh, everybody out there, make sure to check out Cauldron's Bubble. It's, like I said, it's it's awesome. I need to read it again, actually. I'm still trying to get Cara to read it. She's super, I think she'd be super into it. She just hasn't had the time. Well, maybe if you tell her there's a hot guy in it, but then that didn't work for me with Gilbert <laughs> Grape, so... <laughs> And everybody out there, thanks for listening. Please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. You can go to cinematicrespect.com if you want to see more. And also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Letterboxd. I don't know. Did we talk about the fact that John C. Riley was in this movie or did we skip over that completely? We did. Go ahead. Oh, okay. I mean, he was the coolest character. I-, I thought my actually my favorite part of the movie was how excited he was to go work at Burger Barn. <laughs> and he's so great to have with Crispin Glover, too. And I yeah. do want to see a spinoff with them. And it, it's... It, <laughs> It plays well as a buddy comedy. There's like the small town undertaker and uh, the fry chef. mogul. Yes, at Burger Barn. (laughs) (laughs) They'd be like a mystery solving duo or I don't know. You could play it different ways, but... Yeah, like a murder mystery or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I think I think they're helping each other out with job security because Burger <laughs> Barn's just going to fatten everybody up and then they're all going to keel over and make business for The Undertaker. And then when the families come into town for the funeral from far-flung places, they'll get burgers at Burger Barn because there's nowhere else to eat. <laughs>